I would say wrestling changed my life just because I found something that I love to do. And it was this uh, avenue and this t- tool to shape my my character and to develop as a person. And it provides this, you know, safe space for you to have struggle and challenges and have things to overcome. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. It's Wednesday, March 15th. We're one day away from the NCAA tournament. But before we get to Tulsa, let's give it up for Helen Maroulis, our guest today. Olympic gold medalist, three-time world champion, eight-time world and Olympic placer. Helen was the first American woman to win Olympic gold in 2016. She took out one of the best women wrestlers of all time, the great Yoshida from Japan, who was a 13-time world champion. And most recently, there's a new documentary coming out on Helen, produced by Chris Pratt and directed by Dylan Mullick. Tickets for the documentary are available now. The film goes live March 30th, and it's called Helen Believe. It details Helen's comeback from getting an in-match concussion in 2018 to her return to the Olympics in 2020 at Tokyo. Hope you enjoy this interview, and please buy tickets to support the film. Again, it's called Helen Believe. Tickets are available now via the link in our bio. Fan of the Week goes to our friend Brennan Drew, a former Illinois IKWF wrestler from the Wrestling Factory, a listener of this podcast. Brennan, thanks for all your support. We greatly appreciate it. And without further ado, folks, let's give it up for Helen Maroulis. This episode is presented by Beat the Street Chicago. They're hosting an NCAA viewing party Saturday, March 18th at Fat Poor Wicker Park in the city, Chicago IL. Tickets are 25 bucks. All proceeds go to support Beat the Street Chicago. Last year, they had over 250 people attend. This year, the goal is 300. So I encourage everyone listening, if they're in the city, go to the Beat the Street Chicago NCAA viewing party. You can purchase tickets via the link in our show notes. If you can't make it and still want to support the cause... You can donate to Beat the Street Chicago, btschicago.org slash donate. This episode is also sponsored by Quant Wrestling. Quant takes the money ball approach to college wrestling. 
They track and timestamp hundreds of activities in a college wrestling match, input that data into their cloud analytics platform, and on their app, which you can download in the Apple and Google Play stores, you can see detailed statistics on college wrestlers. You can compare different wrestlers. So go to Quant Wrestling on the Apple and Google Play stores. Quant Wrestling, download the app now. Helen Maroulis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited. that You got a lot going on in your life right now. You got a, a new documentary coming out, which is it's just awesome for you and awesome for wrestling that it's being done the right way. Tell us like how all this got started. Like When were you first approached for it? So I was actually first approached for this documentary. Well, actually in 2018, I was introduced to Dylan Mulek, who uh, is the director through Andrea Courtney. Um, who's my manager at the time and literally just a, a wrestling friend too. And I guess it first came about, they were thinking about doing, um, I don't know exactly what they call it, a movie about my 2016 Olympics. And then um, Andrea just said to Dylan, like, no, you should really hear about like what she's going through right now. And so then it turned into the concept of a documentary, but it really didn't kind of really start taking off or getting filmed until maybe like, a little bit 2019 and 2020. Wow. So did you, had you already had the concussion from the tournament in India at that time? Yeah. So I had the concussion from the tournament in India and I think I met them in around June. So I was just, uh, just about like in the middle of the healing process. And at that point you didn't know if you were going to continue, right? At that point I did the first concussion that I didn't retire after the first one. Um, I, uh, I actually like, well, I got the concussion and I spent all this time healing and then I got a second concussion and then, uh, that also like had such weird symptoms and then led to a PTSD diagnosis. And then I went to, um, uh, a facility for that. And then I got out and was like, I don't know what else to do. I'm just going to train for the worlds because I have this wrestle off. So I did that. And then I blew my shoulder out. So I wasn't thinking about retiring. It was just more like, this is a long road to get back. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll get into that because it was, I know, something that, that you battled through. And that's kind of what this film is about is is a redemption story. And and also it seems like a little bit of a case study or or a, a film on mental health, which is, is something that's, that's top of mind for everybody right now. Yeah. It's it's interesting, especially just to receive uh, some of the feedback that we did from the film festival. It's really interesting because this whole time I thought, oh, this is a sports documentary or it's supposed to be a comeback story. And Dylan kept saying, like, this this isn't about wrestling. This isn't about sport. Wrestling is just the vehicle that we're using to tell this bigger story. And I didn't really understand that. Um, and it was also like before the Olympics. I'm like, no, I got to win this. <laughs> but yeah, in hindsight, this is really cool. Have you watched the documentary Weight of Gold? Yes. Yes, I have. That is fantastic. And it just yeah. from what I've heard from Dylan, it, I have those vibes from it. And that's um, I've watched that several times. Yeah, I remember. I, I think when did that come out? Was it like 2019 is when I saw it on Netflix. And um, sorry, my cat. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I just remember just being moved to tears um, and just being like, oh, I'm so happy that this is being talked about. Yeah. The thing that really stood out to me is what it's like for an athlete if you win once you get back and the parade dies down and then how quiet it gets, you know, like the month after the Olympics. Yeah, it's it's honestly been 
really eye-opening for me. Um, being the first Olympic champion in women's wrestling, I didn't really have any other female to kind of go to, like, is this normal? How do I manage this? Like, I'm feeling this way, you know, what, what's this whole experience like? And I remember trying to talk to Kyle Snyder at one point, and he was just like, cool as a cucumber throughout everything. <laughs> and I realized, like, we're just different as, like, as emotional beings. So this, it, it, like, it didn't really help that much. Um, and then when Tamara went through it, uh, you know, she's so bright and bubbly. I'm like, oh, she's this is gonna be a piece of cake for her. Like, I guess it was just me and like my personality. And then to get to talk to her throughout, you know, her journey, it made me realize, like, oh no, we feel similar. Like, this is hard in this way, or this has been challenging in this way. So it was really nice to have someone to share that that experience with. So what was it like for you? You know, two weeks out after you know the biggest win in in American women's history. Um. Well, this is what, like, when people have asked, this is what I've said. Uh, you basically go from living this, like, cave mentality. It's eat, sleep, wrestle, all, and it's, like, you're so dialed in. And then you win, and it's just, like, the wild, wild west. Like, whatever, you know, whatever you want. It's a ton of media. And the big thing is that, for me, it felt like for four to six months, everybody either wanted to know what happened on August 18th, 2016, or they wanted to know about what I'm going to do in Tokyo 2020. Like that was it. So it was always being asked about this past moment or this future moment. And then I think that, that, you know, when you get away from just like being in the present and being real grounded, I think that just kind of can impact you a little bit. And so that's, that's what I felt happen. And, um, and then, you know, just naturally from peaking at the greatest tournament ever and the you know the highs of winning and like the adrenaline dump and everything and then you're you're you got to come down that mountain so it's just a bit of a roller coaster and i just wasn't equipped you know i've had a uh i have a strength coach i have a nutritionist i have a wrestling coach there was no coach for me for like this is how you deal with things with like this new media or new success or just new recognition and it just felt like it all happened at once and i just maybe like I'm sensitive. Maybe that just was a, a harder transition for me than for others. And and part of it too, I'm sure, is when you're leading up to the Olympics, you had a really tough battle with the scale because you were 55. And so talk about what, what kind of sacrifices were made for you to go to 53. Yeah, to go to 53, it was, I mean, it was just for me, it was a 27 job and really the hardest. It was extremely hard, like mentally and emotionally. Um, you know, I just remember working with doctors and nutritionists and being a month out and like, okay, let's try adding this. Let's take away this, add one less bite of this when you eat. Okay. Let's add this much more of running. And it wasn't that the, the physical demands of working out were so it, that wasn't the hard part at all. It was just like the second I'm told to do something, I'll do it, but it's, then it's not working. And then I'm like freaking out or, and not that they told me to do the wrong thing. It was really just, my body was, um, just fighting it. It didn't like, I, I felt it. It was, um, like, you know, it's probably a shock on my system to, to cut down for the first couple of times and then jump back up and then try and get down for this, for the last one. Um, but it all came together beautifully. And I think that was my battle to maybe help me just be so dialed, dialed in and, honestly forced me on my knees praying more than I'd ever been. So it was a, it was a good experience. So you were doing it down to the the bites, the number of bites you were having. I mean, every, everything, like 
supplements bites like listening to certain types of music while i ate like what type of rest you know okay if we add a walk at night is it like just it it really was and and it's funny because i'm actually like i'm lighter now than i was a week before the olympic games and i'm in a weight class 4 kilos heavier so uh i just really think that there was so much like stress and shock that um you know the body uh you can't just force it to do the physical things i think you really have to treat it or I've felt that when I incorporate my body and really make it mind, body, spirit, and I'm pretty like centered in that, then mm-hmm. uh, it works better for me. But just the the shock of the Olympics and and there was so much at stake. And so a week out, how how far over were you? I was um, 60 kilos at opening ceremonies. And then that was two weeks out. And then I was 50 kilo, 59 kilos um, one week out. And... Then literally the day before, I don't, I, I'm telling you, it's just a miracle. Like the day before I woke up after this workout and I was 56.0. And I, and I just remember being like, why not pray for a miracle? Like, why not just believe for something great? I'm just going to do it. And I just remember being, uh, 56 kilos. And for me, this was golden. Like I knew that I could make weight the day before starting at 56. That was the lowest I'd ever started my weight cut. And the weight cut went so easy, like just, you know, you got to do it, but like, it wasn't, there weren't any, you know, crazy issues or it wasn't like a mental battle. It was just like, okay, I did this program, followed it, checked my weight. I was 52.9. That was the lowest I'd been. I went to bed. I woke up the next day and, uh, or no, I think I was 53.5. Then I went to bed and I floated to 52.9. So it was just, yeah, it was such a, such a gift. (laughs) Like you said though, it probably had a not probably did have an impact on kind of your Spartan lifestyle leading into that because there was no room for chance, no room for air. Absolutely. And I also think, I mean, really when you look at things um, fast, like why do people fast, right? It's to, it's to, you know, shed away like these, these extra things that we don't need and to like really clean the, the body and the mind. And so my mind, my body, everything was just dialed in and it really felt like this, this fast. Uh, basically it was fasting for me um and that just yeah i was in such a beautiful place and then i ate chocolate every day after for like six months straight so that's <laughs> probably also why everything was just like so difficult that's such a uh that's such a wrestler's way to do it right it's it's um when you're disciplined you're disciplined but if not it's it's off the rails i i have a little bit of a a similar problem. I'll try to eat clean Monday through Friday, but on Saturday or Sunday, look out. It's, it's on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know wrestlers. Uh... So when you get to the finals, you wrestle through the tournament, you're in the tunnel. And this kind of reminds me of like the Rulon Corella match because Yoshida was trying to go out, you know, as the best ever and maybe still is the most decorated. You'd have to fact check me on that, but what's the energy like in the arena, the, you know, that night of the finals in the tunnel? Oh man, I cannot put into words what that energy is like. There's something in general, like I would say everyone, if you're interested and you can, um, and it's affordable, uh, to just go to an Olympics. Oh, LA 2028. Um, let's go, let's go. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, like there was, there's literally this Olympic spirit, this Olympic energy, like it's so, and this is why I fell in love with the Olympics. It's just, it's so, it's, intention was to be pure and wholesome it's like countries coming together around the world to rest like to compete in a time of peace um 
And, and so, yeah. And going, being in the tunnel and walking out and you're just hearing, like, I couldn't hear what people were screaming. Probably maybe all of them were screaming for Japan. Some of you, like, I, I literally don't even know that the thing is, I think people are just like so excited for this, that you get to see athletes, like, put their their dream on the line and you you feel it like I remember just being like this is amazing like I felt no stress I felt no fear I felt no like nerves really I'm like I get to feel this and experience this once in my life like this is so cool wow it's amazing that you were that present in the moment where you could enjoy it yeah i mean it's like a split second like feeling right. of that like i wasn't like oh the crowd and what is this moment gonna be like intense? it was more just like i remember we walk out and i'm like whoa and then like and then you bring that with you to channel into your focus um so yeah and the match the way you wrestled it too putting pressure on her and you know the way you won it was just awesome and it's such an amazing story and and so you you win that match you go on the the media circus after right into the 2017 worlds, which it's just amazing to see someone win 15, 16, 17. And then you get contacted to do this film as someone who does documentaries myself. I'm curious, what was like the, the interview process? Like, did you guys do more than one interview? And when did that all start? I honestly, I really, honestly, I don't remember Dylan, the director would probably have a way better timeline for that just because I was in the middle of this healing journey. And also I, I hadn't been diagnosed with the PTSD yet, but I think there are some things that were culminating where I just didn't really trust anyone mm-hmm. and I didn't, I didn't tr- trust people. So it was almost like, man, these people are really nice. When I meet them, I have, I have a good feeling, but I don't want anyone to get, to get close to me right now. Like I'm trying to figure my stuff out. And so, you know, I, I think we met, and then even when they'd said, like, we're think we want to shoot this documentary and we're, you know, putting the pieces together for that. In my mind, I was kind of like, yeah, people promise a lot, but do they really deliver? Like, I'll believe it when I see it kind of a deal. And, um, and, and yeah, and then they would actually just come out and film. They would just be like, well, if there's anything exciting in your life, you'd like to come film it. But it was just like a piece here and there, like once every six months, they would just come film something. And so I thought, like, I don't know, it just didn't seemed like it was going to come to fruition at times. Um, so that was, it was just cool to also see on the flip side, what's how filmmaking can be. And uh, it was really interesting to see. And then when Dylan, did you, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, just to see them, like how they put it together. Yeah. And when did you find out that like Chris Pratt was involved in, and Tom Brady, a company that he's invested in is producing it. Oh man. I'm so singular. Like, minded one in my focus because like I really just cared about the Olympics and the comeback and that was like I remember that they told me I just I didn't take it seriously that's how I really did it that's how savage you are I just I mean and here's the cool thing it's like in a sense like me going for the Olympics it's like a filmmaker like them completing their project like that's their own Olympics like that's what they're focused on and mm-hmm. so um, Dylan was doing the things that he needed to get done and I, for his project. And I was doing the things that I need to get done for my projects. And there was just times where he's like, come on, you got to tell me where you're going to be. Or like, get, like we, we should come film this. I'm like, no, no, I don't want you to film this. Like, uh, what if they don't let you in? And he'd be like, you're, you're overthinking it. So um, it was cool. So he really just like worked to get that that done. And like, 
really they didn't interfere with my training or anything. And so, um, so I really just didn't focus on it. And when, uh, for folks listening, we'll post a link in the show notes, but when, uh, do you know when it's going to go live to the general public? Um, so it's actually, uh, going to go live on March 30th. It'll be across 700 theaters across the U S and it's, um, through fathom. So if you go to fathomevents.com and then you search like my name, which is part of the title of the film so that it'll just come up and actually I think tickets go on sale today, I believe. So it'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and just think about how many people, how many kids are going to watch this and you know, they'll have a moment of inspiration from the film. I just think it's, it's so awesome when, when someone takes on a wrestling project and does it and, and your story is the, is the epitome because when you were getting into wrestling, women's wrestling was was on the back burner and just kind of, I wouldn't even say catching steam yet. I mean, to see how far it's come since then is pretty crazy. Yeah, it's mind-blowing the and, and amazing. And, and you know, it's time for it. Like all these, these opportunities for women. When I was young, it almost seemed so far away, like it was just never going to happen. And now it's like, no, without a shadow of a doubt, this, this will happen. This is... Um, you know, women's wrestling is here to stay and I uh, just got off a really cool com- call yesterday about some stuff with you know NCAA and um, emerging sports status with women so it's just like it's so hopeful and exciting to know the opportunities that are going to be available for girls in the future yeah and how did you get involved with the uh, the U.S. education program at Northern Northern Michigan because it sounds like that was a pretty big turning point for you in, in your journey because up until that point you were wrestling in Maryland with the boys team correct yes yeah, so I grew up wrestling boys in Maryland and then my junior year right after state uh, I get a phone call from Shannon Gillespie who is the coach there at the USOEC and he just said hey you know we're doing this new program where we're actually going to bring some high school girls out to live at the training center in Michigan which is a feeder program to the Olympic Training Center in Colorado and he just said, what's the point of wrestling another year folk style when your goals and your future are in freestyle and come now, just, you know, start developing with girls and with women that, you know, I remember Alyssa Lampy was out there and I got to train with her every day and she whooped my butt. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it was just really, it was a much, you know, better experience to do that than I think to stay wrestling high school boys. What kind of a culture shock was it when you got to uh, Michigan for the first time? It was definitely a culture shock. I at the when I was sixteen, I I didn't get homesick or anything like that. But um, I just also think that I was immature and went out too young, and it was a little bit of like it was a new program for them, so they didn't. They were trying to figure out. I mean, we were sixteen year olds living in college dorms, um, and then so then because of that, we had like an eight p.m. curfew. But I'm a night owl, so just be like stuck in my you know room at eight p.m. It was a little bit. Um, but the training was really good. You know, I remember we got to go overseas to a lot of different tournaments and we had a training camp in Austria and it was just cool to be exposed to for more foreign competitors from a young age. So you're, instead of doing like a high school schedule, you're going around the country and doing international women's tournaments. Yeah. Yeah. Basically it was like wrestling on the women's senior circuit uh, while you were in high school. And I think that was really invaluable for me because um, I get, it's different now because now we have the, you know, the U17, the U20, U23, and then senior. But for me at the time, it was like, this is, you know, senior. And as soon as you can get there, 
you should be there. And so I think it just kind of helped me because I didn't, um, I just really focused on like competing at a senior level. I made my first world team the day I turned uh, 17 actually. And it was because not because I went out to Northern Michigan and then, um, you know, all the girls were preparing to go to the uh, world team trials that were going to be held after the Olympics in 2008. And I just said, Oh, I want to go. And the coach was like, no, you should really just stay here and develop for a year. And I said, please just let me go compete. And then, uh, and then I made the team, which was like super cool. And I went to my first world championships. And that was like, after that, it was like, I don't, like, I don't want anything less than this. Like, this is such a cool experience. So what was it about that event that stuck out to you? So the coolest thing about that was that the world championships in 2008, they were held in Japan. And mind you, just culturally at the time, this was back when, uh, when women's wrestling only had four weight classes. And so now with non-Olympic weights or having a non-Olympic world, it's like the second it happened for men, it was, oh, sorry. The second it happened for men, it was um, recognized. But ah, sorry, I just got a um, message. I didn't mean to that. But um, but before that, it was like you know, in the U.S., I just felt like something like people didn't really fully respect it. It's like oh, non-Olympic worlds for the women, and so. But when we went overseas to Japan, where the worlds were held in Tokyo, it was like the NFL over there. Like they, they had media, they had like gifts and the award ceremonies and just like just the way that they treated women's wrestling it was so nice to be exposed to that as you know a 17 year old and know that like if this can exist there it can exist here in the U.S. and and I've seen it with my own eyes now and then you know getting teched by Japan uh in my second match it was just like nice to be exposed to like here's the standard you know and um and I mean, it sucked at the time, but like, it was just like, I got to, I don't know. I just, I felt like in my life and my career, maybe because women's wrestling was like coming up and not where it should have been yet. I was in really cool places at, um, at a really good time in my life. Like I was very young when a lot of things happened, you know, um, mm-hmm. four weight classes is crazy. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. I know. 20, 2012 trials. I did that. Yeah. So what is it now? Is it six? So it is. Yes. Six. So it's six across the board for everybody. It's so cool that that's kind of the first time you saw women's wrestling in its full grandeur. And, and even though you didn't have a performance, you wanted it, it stuck out that much to you. Yeah. And I think going in, um, I mean, it's so different now when I go in, um, in my twenties and thirties, as opposed to like when I was a teenager, it was like, I hope to do well. Like this is, you know, <laughs> like, uh, I don't, you know, and I've said like confidence has always been something I struggled with. So it's not that I thought I was going to go lose, but I think I was like going and hoping for like the best day ever. <laughs> um, so, and, and then also like, because you're that age, I think coaches maybe also don't have the highest expectations of you. So they were really good about like, really take this all in look at the other girls on on the team like look at how they're weight cutting look at how they're sleeping like study how they're handling their nerves look at foreign competitors like what are they doing so and i've always been very observant and analytical so i think i really made the most of that and then 2011 was that the first time you were at the senior level worlds well 2008 was um, that was a senior team oh i thought that was a junior team 
Oh no, no, sorry. That was that was senior worlds. So I was saying wow. it's um the when they had the non-Olympic worlds after the Olympics, but they only had it for women at the time. But that was a senior world championships. Got yeah, it. So that I was your first senior it. worlds. Yeah, I lost to um Obata from Japan, who actually went on to win the Olympics in 2012. So got it. Like it was, I mean, so cool, you know? Yeah. You're so, right up there with the, at a young age, 17 is so young um, to be, I mean, so you've been at the, the elite world level for, you're going to test my math here, but like over 15, 16 years, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah. I've been on national team since basically 2008, um, wow. senior national team. So it's again, yeah, it's been a lot of time to like l- learn and grow and discover and, uh, <laughs> get comfortable i guess or hopefully i guess you shouldn't be too comfortable <laughs> and when you look at you know your whole career it's been u.s battling japan what do you think enables a, a country like that to have that kind of sustained success is there something you've you've noticed when training over there so i think a couple things contribute to why japan has been able to kind of stay at the, the top for so long um first i believe that or women's wrestling came to Japan, I think 20 years before it came to any other country. Um, and from what I heard, it was like pretty well received early on. So I think some coaches transitioned from men's to women's and realized, wow, these women are really coachable. And then like, it just really started taking off. And, um, and then you look at countries like <laughs> the U S which were supposed to be so progressive. And it's like, man, some of the biggest resistance that I've had in wrestling is just from male wrestlers or male wrestling coaches are just like not having an opportunity to their space to get better. Um, so the, the women, uh, I think the Japanese women kind of had a 20 year, uh, head start on every other country. And then I think just really, they've also just developed a really good system. And I think that a lot of other countries with women's wrestling, there's just been, um, a lot of things in flux of like trying to figure out a system or it's growing and changing. And I think the U S now we're coming into, uh, you know, having this, this great system and we have a great leader in Terry Steiner and, uh, with the national team staff. And so I've, I've been around since, I mean, really been going to, to, I went to the first ever Olympic camp in 2004. So I like, I wasn't that involved then, but I got to see like how things have just transitioned over the years. And it's so cool to see USA make the changes that they need to like put, you know, the best team forward and really develop for the cadets and juniors. And I, I think it's just a matter of time. It's absolutely amazing. And it's just, it's been kind of uh, an example of what's been happening for women's wrestling outside of the Olympic level. Look at all the states and, you know, the colleges. And hopefully there's there's more um, NCAA programs on the way. I'm sure you know better than, than we do, but very exciting. And when you think about, to me, the first time I saw Olympic or women's wrestling um, on the on the big stage was... I guess it would have been 2004 or uh, 2004 at the trials, but 2012 really stands out to me. And I know that's a tournament that was kind of a turning point in your career. What's it like at the OTC, the year of an Olympics? Uh, this is interesting. Um, Marcy Van Dusen, she was a 2008 Olympian. And I remember I told her, oh, I'm going to go live at the Olympic Training Center the year before the 2012 Olympics. And she just said, Helen, be careful because the year of the Olympics, everything changes. Like you go for camps and it's one thing, but when it's the year of the Olympics, it's just a different beast. And, um, I didn't really know what that meant until I experienced it firsthand, but it's just in, it's just intense. It's like, 
high high nerves my I guess every you know you, you can't lie to yourself this is a once every four year thing and everyone knows that knows it and so that shows <laughs> yeah it's um and just being at the epicenter out in Colorado Springs it's you probably feel it even more yeah <clears throat> yeah that's that's actually why like I love going for camps but I've always said living at the training center is not for me and I had to do it <clears throat> like live it and experience it to know for sure but I did that in 2012 and I remember I li- I moved out and I moved there in 2011 and I did everything and I you know took a, a red shirt from school and I thought oh my gosh I'll have all this free time to focus on wrestling and really just wasn't healthy for me you know I taped a little gold medal on my mirror to like get up and like look at myself and like whatever you know but just having the Olympic rings in your face every day it was not good balance for me and like to just be there when it was like always about the Olympics it's um it it, it, does, it works for a lot of people it just doesn't work for me so I like to really I know that I'm so focused on wrestling so I actually need things that will help me be more balanced and be like, Oh, there's more to life than wrestling. Here's a beach in California. You can <laughs> sit there and enjoy it. <laughs> like, don't think about this. It's funny. Jared Freyer said the same thing. He said that when in 08 or 07 or 08, he was living at the OTC full time. And he's like, I was focused on wrestling the most. And ironically, I did my worst wrestling. What all I was consumed with was wrestling. And it was something that stuck with me. It's been months, but you just remind me of that. I, I often wonder like what, what he meant by that, you know? Yeah. I just think it's not, um, it's almost like, it's interesting to me. One thing that's helped me a lot is to look at something and be like, why do we really do this? Or if we can get to the root of what we think this is going to give us, we'll probably find that this was never the solution to begin with. Like the root cause is going to tell us what it is. So you think, um, oh, to get better at wrestling, I need to spend all this time doing it. And really that just comes down to like, no, you have to find a place in yourself where you decide that it's enough. And it's very hard for athletes to just, I think, get to a place where they're like, no, it's enough for me. I know I've done enough. And, um, and, and it could be a variety of different things. I'm not saying that's for Jared, for Jared. I'm just saying like, there, there's, I think there's always something underlying. And we think that like, the more we make it about wrestling, the more it'll take care of everything. But really it's like, that's not the thing we actually had to take care of. Like, the wrestling will take care of itself when you take care of these other things. And the other things are not wrestling related. Yeah. Like um, my faith played a really big role uh, when I, you know, started believing in God. It was like the year before the Olympics in 2012. And, you know, um, I lost and I was really angry and bitter. And after I said, okay, like I'm going to come back, but I'm going to do it your way this time. And, um, and I just remember it had life just stopped. It had nothing to do with wrestling. Like I knew all the things that was being asked of me was going to translate to wrestling, but it was more about building my character or like just paying attention to the things about, I don't know, what's really important. And when those things fell into place and I, then I felt like my wrestling changed for the better because you go to a tournament and now all of a sudden your identity is not wrapped up in your performance, right? But you can't use wrestling and do more wrestling to figure out your identity is not wrestling (laughs) so (laughs) you have to figure that out outside of wrestling it reminds me of the story you told in the documentary flow did a a couple years back where like you were i think it was before the olympic trials in 2012 and terry steiner told a story that Uh, like you don't 
you don't need this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he and, said... Uh, yeah. Oh, Go ahead. Oh, no, no. Yeah, when Terry had said that you don't need this, you don't need to win, you just want want to win. That, yeah. That, that's what yeah, yeah. What was your... Yeah, could, could you share that? <laughs> yeah, I remember it was maybe like a month out from Olympic trials and, you know, obviously everyone's feeling the pressure and it's like really intense. And so Terry gives us his talk after practice and he goes, listen, ladies, like just keep this in perspective that you don't need to make this Olympic team. You want to make this Olympic team. And there's a very big difference. And I just remember thinking, yeah, right. Like you don't understand me. I need this. Like I, like I need to do this. And then after when I lost, I realized I was wrong. (laughs) It's just, yeah. Looking back now, you know, you're a a seasoned pro. When you look back at 2012, what do you think was, was something that, that maybe didn't, that you wouldn't have repeated going into it? Was it just putting too much focus on the outcome? Um, that I wouldn't do in 2012 again? Or just like, if you were telling a young competitor, like, you know, I've, I learned this from that. Is it like putting wrestling on a pedestal? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely say like putting being an Olympian on a pedestal and making everything about wrestling. Um, and you know, I, my teammate Elena said this once and it stuck with me ever since she said, no one's given everything. So maybe you're given strength and you're given a, a work ethic, but like you're not given wisdom to know when to pull yourself back you know such an athlete it's like they always run themselves into the ground or there's really really talented athletes that are so lazy you know and you're like how are you wasting this gift you know but there's not like there's no one person that's given everything and so we each have this one area that's almost like our kryptonite or our achilles heel and if you can work on that and overcome that then you can you know see i think i think see results and uh for me that was just really confidence and believing, believing in myself. Um, I remember Elena said to me once, I can't believe how talented you are and how much you have going for you and how terrible, how terribly you speak for yourself. And cause she had heard me after I, after I lost once, just like berating myself. And, um, and so I was like, wait, people don't do that. Like everybody doesn't do that. And I was like, <laughs> well, then how do you like, how do you, make sure that you don't just get complacent about losing then. Like I didn't know that there was, there was another way. And I remember in 2011 going to the Pan Am games with Yelena and Clarissa Chun and we were all in the finals. It was so cool. And then they had both, they had both um, lost and they lost really amazing competitors. And it was like, you could tell that they were their competitors. They're sad, but in a split second later, not split second, but like, you know, maybe an hour later they were completely fine. And we all went out to dinner. And I remember it was so inspiring because I'm like, and I asked them both, I'm like, wait, how, how, so how do you do this? And she goes, look, I'm not like, am I sad about the loss? Yes. Do I take the time to process it and think about what I need to change? Yes. Are there things I'm going to go back and work with my coach yet? And she goes, but if I spend the rest of the night sulking when my family's here and they came to visit me and like, she's like, you just, you can't do that. You, you're not going to last in the sport either. And so that's when I realized, oh, I, I have to change. Um, and so I think losing in 2012, it was just like, I can't ride these highs and lows anymore. So I, I would say just going back wow. and just finding balance. So it was that like up until that point though, you took every loss as such a personal hit that it was that eye opening to you that they could go out and have dinner and enjoy themselves. Yeah. It, it was like, 
I couldn't believe it. And I, I just remember thinking like, there's some voice in my head, some incorrect voice. It's like, but no, if you do that, you'll, you'll get complacent or like, you'll just overlook the loss or you won't. I don't know. I just, and, and probably it was so much wrapped in identity and just, you know, uh, immaturity where here are these seasons, seasons vet, veterans that have, you know, achieved things at the highest level. And so they just knew, they, they knew what the correct way, you know, to handle it was. And, um, you know, you see Kyle Snyder, I think after, you know, after his losses in, I think it was 2018 or 2019, just seeing his interviews, you can tell, like, you know, that guy does not like losing, but you can tell that it had no bearing or impact on his, his identity or, you know, his ability to enjoy, enjoy life and, and move on. And I think when you look at younger athletes, sometimes it's like, you see that they struggle with this. That was eye opening, right? Like he is light years ahead of his time because that's he's like it yeah. doesn't define me, and it really seemed like he was not okay, but like you're saying, able to to process it and not just be totally wrecked by it. Yeah, I think I'm sure he was wrecked yeah. by it, but sorry, go ahead. I actually, I, I mean, I really don't, I don't know because it's it's the same way that I don't know if he was wrecked by it because it's the same way that when I lost and I, um, or when I won and I seen how Clarissa and Elena handled losing, I thought like they must be wrecked by it. Are they just like like trying to cover this up? But then I saw like, no, this is very genuine. They're just in a in a better place. Like they they know how to do this. And with Kyle, I I feel the same, you know, the same way. And the amount of times that I've talked to Kyle about things and got to pick his brain, I'm like, he's just a really healthy, mature, balanced individual. And I think he's able to do this at the highest level without ever letting it like taint or tempt him hmm. um in my opinion uh, but that's just from observation it's interesting because you've seen i'm just thinking about all the great champions you've seen in women's and, and men's and, and obviously your own career is is hall, hall of fame caliber but I mean, you've seen everyone from basically 08 through now i mean and that's been one of the best mm-hmm. eras in american wrestling yeah it's it i don't know i was having this thought the other day i'm like it's just been such a gift to to be alive at this time. Um, I was just in Kyrgyzstan for a training camp and it was with uh, Ace Lou Tinabakova and she's the first um, person, male or female, to win a world championship in wrestling for Kyrgyzstan. She's a superstar now. And then we were driving up mountains with Ep May, who um, was the, basically the first woman to do all, all these things in wrestling in Estonia. And I just was like, oh, in this time, like everyone's the first, everyone's doing amazing things in their country. Like there's so many trailblazers right now you know, in, in this, in this era that I get to be a part of. And so I'm just like, what a gift. I'm like, I just get to be around. I don't know. It was just, it was so cool. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I'm just even on the men's side and to see how, like, I just like, it's so cool that young girls don't have to go through this. Cause I remember a period of time at the beginning of, you know, being in the senior national team circuit where like women were just like the rejects of the wrestling world. And it was like, Oh, don't want to go near them with like, you know, I don't know. And then to see, it was noticeable though at the early days. Yeah. Yeah. It was. And yeah. And it was such a, such a struggle and to have the men's team that we do now that supports the women that are our friends. Like I was on a junior world team with Kyle day in like 2007, you know, me, uh, Kyle and Vicky and, and we were friends then and there wasn't anything like, oh, women's wrestling isn't cool or anything like that. And, um, and then to see it come full, full circle on the, on the senior level and even internationally, 
Like there's some countries I go to that I thought, oh man, they probably don't respect women's wrestling or they do. And in an instant you go train with them and then, uh, and then they see, and that, that's kind of what I've really just had to do. I've always said like, you might not like women's wrestling, but if you just wrestle with me for an hour, there's no way that you're going to like, there's no way that you're going to deny, deny that. Like I don't deserve to be here. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's not like, a, Oh, I'm so great or anything like that. It's really from when I was a little, a little girl, I noticed that men uh, in wrestling and coaches in wrestling, they like, they like to kind of put this bar for girls that, you're good if you're tough. I hear all the time, like, oh my God, my daughter wrestlers are like, I got this girl on my team. She's so tough. She's so tough. And I'm like, that's your benchmark because you're surprised at a girl being tough. But that's not your benchmark for a guy. It doesn't surprise you that a guy's tough. You don't tell me a guy's tough. You're like, oh, I got this great wrestler. And um, and so it was like sometimes... Uh, Interesting. So, so for me, anytime someone would compliment something that I felt like didn't equal over, like with the men, I just, it was out of my head. Um, and the one thing that I wanted to always hear was your technique is good. Cause I'm like, if your technique is good, it has nothing to do with gender. Mm. And, uh, and, and so my technique and my body position like that, that was the most important thing. And now it's cool. Cause I'll wrestle like college wrestlers, Olympic athletes, Olympic coaches, and a lot of like different athletes have said like, Oh, your body position is amazing. Like not for a girl. It's just amazing period. Or like, it's really hard to get to your legs or wow, you're like really strong in this position. So it's so cool that they're not looking at it as, oh, you're just decent for a girl. It's like, no, you're actually like a good wrestler. And that was something that I've always um, wanted to like pride myself on. And when you think about your technique game, you know, the position, the, the low level, the starting with the wrists, talk us through like how you broke down, you know, learning technique, like when you're at your your prime. So for example, it's, it's 2015, 2016, when you're done with practice, are you going and watching film of people? Are you thinking about technique, journaling about it? How did you go about that? I would say for me, it started uh, before that. So it started at a very young age. When I was um, in uh, middle school, I went to this. Uh, my mom took me to this you know, club, one of the best clubs in Maryland, if not the best. And they're just like, nope, we don't want any girls. And, you know, mom just kind of warmed down and eventually he let me in. But I just it was such a, a strict practice, like you had a list of everything that we were going to do from like six, six o'clock to six Oh five, this to this position, six Oh five to this to six ten. this transition. And he would say, if you don't know this, you need to ask before the beginning of practice. Cause when I call it out, you have to do it. And if you do it wrong, you guys are in trouble. And so, I mean, down to like where your toe was pointing, where you had to remember every aspect of the move he showed. And so it just, um, it was amazing because the focus wasn't on strength or speed. It was really about like body position and technique. And he had rules, 33 rules of body position. And he gave you a printout and you had to memorize them. And wow. Kyle and I came from, came from the same club and we have those body position rules to this day, you know, and like some of what them a club, like, hey. by the way, unbelievable. Yeah, it, was, it was amazing. And it was so good for me because, uh, you know, sometimes you go in clubs into clubs and it's like, you show some moves, but then it's like, well, wrestle live, wrestle live and, and grind it out. But it's like me wrestling these, you know, 120, 130 pound high school boys, it's not going to add that much. And it really like beats down on your body. But to be in a practice room where from like 6 to 8 p.m., you had to go through just a plethora of different moves and positions and you had to know everything. Like I got whacked before, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then it was cool because he would always have 
one guy that would show the move. And I just thought this guy was so cool because he knew every move and he was the demonstrator. And then he graduated. And a few years later, I became the, the demonstrator. And so the coach would be like, all right, Helen, show this. And I could not like it better have be perfect. And so whatever partner you had, you might have a new partner that day that has an awkward feel, but you need to make sure that you still move them in this way and get to this position. And otherwise coach is going to be pissed. So it was that that also helped me because then when I went into other clubs or program, I was used to just being so detail oriented. So if a coach doesn't fully explain something, or maybe there's things they're doing that they don't even think about because it's natural to their body, I would really try and pay attention and pick up on because I wanted to completely mimic exactly what they were doing. And wow. um, I, I think that helped me a lot. Down to the detail. Do you remember oh, yeah. any of those uh, positions, the list? Um, yeah. So some of the rules of body position, like one was like elbows, never further than three inches from your ribs. And it's like, if you look at it historically, when you're like arms are out, you know, it's not, not, not really, uh, great. And one was like, head always higher than your hips. If you don't know what to do in a certain position, get your head up. Um, there's some other ones I'd have to pull the list up. Yeah, no, I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but <laughs> no, no, I was okay. just curious. Like, you know, you'd never have two knees down on the mat one time, but it'd be like, there'd be exceptions to the rules, like, okay, in this specific position and, and more things are like geared to folk style. So, uh, when you're pinning someone, the rule of thumb is like your hip, you know, turns to like to their hip instead of to their head. Like it just, it really is like a kind of like a wrestling for dummies, but sometimes things are just so hard for kids to take in and mm -hmm. it's helped me in like my coaching where I'm like, I don't, I, I want to get to the point where I've trained your body to just react correctly so that you actually don't have to think like, wait, what move do I do here? Even if it's some weird position that you don't know you're in, you know, okay, if my head's down and my hips are up, that's not, I don't really, I don't want to be there. Okay. Like head up, come up, you know, finish out the back door or whatever it may be. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it was really amazing experience. I think it's so powerful to break things down into systems like that. Because it yeah. helps kids kids remember. And the, one of the best coaches in Illinois, Jose Martinez, he had this kids club, same thing. Like it was down to, he had them printed on the wall and it was step by step. And it's like, it's so much better than just having a flavor of the week. Like we're going to do this today. No, we're going to drill it methodically over and over in this system. Yeah, 100%. I know I'm going to get asked this. So if you or Kyle do this, post the list because people are, parents are going to be <laughs> calling me or messaging me on Instagram. Hey, we're, I I still, uh, like three years ago, Tom Ryan mentioned that Dan Gable gave him like a 12 month playbook to this day. Once, like once a month, once a week, I'll get someone asking, Hey, did Tom Ryan ever send that to you? And I'm like, no, I no, he didn't. So I'm just putting, <laughs> putting it out here. Now, if you have it, Helen, go ahead and post it. Okay. Because people will be begging for it. Okay. Well, this coach is retired and living his best life in Florida. Um, it's his intellectual property, so I will have to ask him, but if he's willing to share it, then yes, I will. It there. sounds like the coach should come on the podcast. He seems uh, like, I mean, the fact that his club produced Helen Marulis and Kyle Snyder, that's crazy. Yeah, he's he's awesome. Wow. So I wanted to to kind of wind down with 2021 was a was a crazy year for you in terms of making the Olympic team, going to Poland, going to Tokyo, and now you're at the Olympics where... There's no fans, right? And you were at 2016 where when you and Yoshida wrestled, it was maybe the highest energy we've had for a wrestling match since Rulon and Karelin. And so 
Going into 2021, though, I had read that you thought for sure you were retiring after that game. Is that true? Yeah, 100%. Why did, why did you uh, have that mentality going in? So I generally make commitments like I'm committing to this quad, 2008 to 2012, 2012 2016. And, uh, and I had made a commitment the day after Rio. Like I, I was praying about it, and I, I was like, okay, I know I'm going to do this next quad. And uh, just, you know, there's periods of time throughout the quad where like I did, you know, I, I did retire and I did have to stop. Um, and when I retired, I just remember thinking like, this feels like the right decision, but like, what if some stuff changes in the next year and it's possible? So it was like, I just, I had to retire in that moment, but it was never like, hopefully, like, it was never like, maybe the, you know, I, I know that there's always a possibility for, for things to change, but um, it kind of felt like 2020 really just became about literally just crossing the finish line. Like I, I remember feeling like I don't wrestle the way that I used to Um, my, you know, my brain and then certain injuries uh, stemming from like the PTSD and some other things. Like there's some things that I've never shared with, with anyone Um, maybe like a few coaches or, and well, and doctors, of course, but it was just like, I just need to get through these Olympics. If I win the trials and that makes me the best person to compete, then I'm going to go compete because then I'm the best representative and I want to, I want to do my best. Um, But it was also like, this doesn't feel like my best that I'm capable of. It feels like I'm trying to just hodgepodge, throw some scrap metal on like a broken down machine and just like get it across the finish line. That's really what it felt like. And, um, you know, it wasn't till uh, literally two days, really like two, two, the, the, the day before when the, when the draw came out for my weight class, like the day before um, something changed. And uh, I remember I saw my draw and it was like, you have the world champ from China and then you have the girl that just beat you eight to two in Poland. And then you're going to have Kauai. And I just had this rush of, uh, there were nerves, but there was a rush of excitement. And I just was like, this is the last, like, I did it. I made it here. Like, we're just dragging like the, you know, the pieces <laughs> that have fallen off the car and like the fumes are up everywhere, but like, we're dragging this thing across the finish line. And I just remember being like, wow, this is my last tournament ever. And these nerves are the last nerves I'm ever going to feel in this way. And me just sitting in this hotel room and just waiting for the hours to come until tomorrow starts, like, I'm never going to feel this again. And I was like, you know, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It's yeah, it's a, it's a tough draw. And I was like, I don't care about anything. I just would love like for my last time on the mat to just wrestle the way that I, I did before, like just not have to question my health, just be healthy, be happy, just wrestling off my instincts and enjoying the moment like that. I will have no regrets if I can finish off that feeling. And, and I don't want to have thought to come back and then wrestle scared and timid and then spend the rest of my life being like, well, why couldn't I just check in and, and be in the zone and go do it? And so, uh, just in being so intentional about that, the next day when I competed, it just felt like that felt like being on a high the whole day. I had this layer of peace and joy over me that was unexplainable. And I loved every second of wrestling and, and it, and it felt, and, you know, even like some comments were like, oh, that was vintage Helen or like we haven't seen that Helen in a while. So I knew that that also showed. And I was like, wait, 
but if I just got this back, I also don't want to stop now. Like this is what I was trying to get back this whole time. Like, I don't want to just experience it for one tournament. So it's kind of just been like, as long as I can feel that and compete like that, I I'm, I want to keep competing. Um, it's crazy you know, that yeah. you, your body and your mind, you went through so much, you know, just battling, struggling, pushing and, and improving yourself during 2016 to 2020, then it's 21, but it literally took to the morning of the weigh-in to when you when you finally got your wish of, hey, I want to wrestle like I used to. That is just amazing that it happened at that moment. It's like you never know how close to gold you are until you get there, right? Like it's so easy to stop before then. Yeah, it's interesting because it it's almost very similar to what happened in 2016. Like the weight, it like literally just didn't come together until the night before. And I was like 56 kilos and I had this great cut. But every day before that, it was just the most stressful thing ever. And so I remember actually after 2016, when I committed to come back to 2020, I felt like 2016 took everything out of me. Like it just required the most. And I didn't have, like, I didn't know life went on after August 18th, 2016. Like I was only preparing for that day. And, um, and then when that happened, it was like, this took everything out of me. Like I almost have to decompress and then recharge up again to get back and do this. Um, and that took months and months. And when I came back, I remember thinking if it was that hard to win your first gold medal, it's only going to be harder the second time around. Like I just intuitively knew, I just felt like I was being prepared. Like, Hey, just heads up. You thought that was bad. Like, (laughs) and I never thought that it would result in this and like all the injuries and everything. I thought it was just going to be like more pressure or something. Um, but yeah, 2020 ended up being way harder, but kind of that same thing, like literally the day before just, okay, came together. This is awesome. So I can't believe it was the day after you beat Yoshido that the next day you decided you were going to make a go for 2020. Like already the next day you're thinking, what's next? Well, well, I journal and I was doing this kind of like journal prayer fast. And so the first like hour of my day, I would read for 30 minutes and journal for 30 minutes. And so um, I wasn't going to stop that right after. So the next morning when I went to journal after winning the Olympics, it's like my hand was shaking. I was like, I was like, Oh my gosh, so many emotions. And I, I just remember thinking like, ah, I I would love to do this again. Like, is that selfish? Is that like wrong of me to want that? But like, I do want it again. This was such an amazing, you know, feeling and experience. And I had, um, you know, read this, this passage in in Joshua eight and I felt like that was my confirmation. And so I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it again. So your hand was shaking you at that much excitement, energy, nerves running through your body the next day when you sat down to journal. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. But I also don't really sleep the night after tournaments because I think of all the uh, uh, adrenaline. So it's just that compounding with like everything else. Wow. That is just, it's so fascinating to hear about it. And the, the only other thing I wanted to ask you is when you look back at 2019 and there's, there's people out there who, you know, I'm sure have had can concussions and rest concussions and wrestling is not something you really hear that much about. So I remember hearing it, hearing about it from you. And that was the first time kind of took a step back and I had some awareness about it. But for you, like what kind of things did you experience after the first and second kind of round of concussions you had? Mm, like symptom wise or treatment yeah. wise or, yeah. um, so the first concussion happened in India. Oh, sorry. Uh, ambulance. Um, no worries. <laughs> I kind of look close to the street here. Um, the first concussion happened in India and that one, there was just so much that, uh, was going on because I traveled overseas. I just had surgery on my thumb. So we just didn't know like 
what was causing what. Uh, the really dangerous thing with that was that I kept wrestling on it and I didn't have good advice from like doctors and there wasn't a trainer and like coaches didn't really provide like, um, you know, probably the best advice. So it just, the, the ball got dropped in a lot of ways and I came back and it turned into this uh, like four month long recovery. And I remember I had to get special uh, glasses, prism glasses, and they, you know, have, have these lines on them to like train your eye to come down to even out. Uh, I was having to use noise canceling headphones, but you'd have to um, use them in loud places, but then you'd have to know how to like wean yourself off of them in quieter places so that your brain doesn't get like so desensitized to sound that then it's like, it makes you anxious. It was just, um, wow. you know, there's balance issues, vestibular issues. And then my personality had changed and I was working with some specialists and I, I didn't know at the time, I guess it's called like uh, when you revert back to monkey brain but it would almost feel like the way i describe it is if you have a phone and your battery's 100 percent, everything works and when you bring it down to 20 percent, the screen gets dim there's nothing you can do about that like you can't override it that's it you bring that to 10 percent. you know now you can't use your flash you um you know can't use your flashlight or anything like that uh certain features it's just like that's it they're cut off and so that's kind of what happens with the brain is that maybe you start at 100 percent battery but normally people can end at 90% at the end of the day or 80%. Like you could still do everything if you needed to. Uh, you can push yourself. You can override a lot of things. But with the concussion, it's like two hours into the day and there's just certain functions I can't do anymore. Like if I'd had a conversation and made eye contact, that was it. Like my, I couldn't have another conversation throughout the day or like my um, like jaw would lock up or my autonomic nervous system wouldn't regulate like weird things happen. And then towards the end of the night, if I pushed it a little too hard, maybe I had three conversations that day and it would be so difficult because I like to talk to people. And I, I really like, you know, and I would think, Oh, I'm fine. I feel fine. The moment and the second I would walk away, like my head would be throbbing. And then I realized, Oh no, this is not going to be good. And sometimes that would revert into this monkey brain where I would start hearing voices. And it just felt like my brain had checked out and something else took over. And it was just like, so scary. And I remember just going to bed so many times like, oh crap, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I pushed it too much. If I could just go to sleep, I'll recharge my brain and I'll wake up in the morning and I get to start the next day, maybe at 60 or 80%, but like, I just got to go to sleep. I just got to get to sleep. And it was just like that for, for many, many months. And there were different, like other different, um, like symptoms or issues came up around each of the different concussions. Like I had really bad vertigo, um, at one point. And so that was just like, laying in bed all day, going to the doctors at the training center, having them do the epley maneuver, see if they can like fix it. Nope. Doesn't get fixed. Just go back and lay down. We'll try again the next day. And you're just doing that every day. So, um, that was pretty wild. It's crazy. That's something you take for granted, like having a conversation all of a sudden that's now a, a chore. Yeah. I, it, it was like very, very eye opening to me. Um, yeah, to to just have like basic abilities taken away, or to just be laying on your couch and being like, I I want to think, I want to think about some things, but I know if think if I think about it, that's like taxing for my brain. So I'm just supposed to lay here and do nothing. So that was like a really big identity crisis, and and probably like uh, I'm grateful. I'm I'm grateful that it happened because I I think that it helped me I think it ripped out a foundation that wasn't really solid to begin with it, certain things about 
um, in my personality or in my life, it's like things got ripped away that I couldn't even potentially try and hold on to. Uh, like things had to be start over from scratch again. And so that was like really helpful for me, like learning, learning boundaries. It was like, I'm saying no, because I literally have to. And, uh, Mm-hmm. And then that helped me to develop, like, I like to say no and have boundaries and no, you're not ever going to tell me what's best for my body and push me. And I'm not going to risk it for the both of us to figure it out because I'm the one that has to deal with the consequences of it. And, wow. uh, and, and that was, you know, it's like, and I've told athletes this, like, don't, don't be a people pleaser because at the end of the day, you're the one that suffers for it. You're, you're, you're replaceable to everyone except yourself. Like no one else had, no one else had to sit with me alone in the room in the dark, you know, laying for hours so that I, my anxiety attacks would go away or so, you know, that my brain would calm down. No, no coach, no other athlete, no, like no one has to sit with you in that except yourself. And, and so, uh, so it was like, I'm not, I'm not replaceable for my, for myself. And when you're at the the depths of that, are you even thinking about wrestling or that's so far removed you can't even consider it? It's so far removed. Like I really did not care about wrestling. I didn't watch wrestling for two years. I didn't know who was on the teams. I didn't watch a single match or tournament. Like people try and talk to me about wrestling and it was a trigger. It was just like that thing caused me so many problems. Like why do I want to, you know, go with that? And I actually got into dancing at the time to just help me heal because the thing too is sometimes I'm, and I think it's different for me because I, I'd done what I wanted in wrestling. And so I, I think it would have been easier for me to retire. But I think when like young athletes get concussions, it's like, no, that like, wait, I still have all these goals. So they hold on to wrestling. But I think that um, for me, it was like, I started dancing and it was, I need something that fills my soul the way that wrestling does, but that's not taxing like wrestling. And, um, because if you, when you find that you just cut everything out, that also can like kind of make you spiral too. Cause you have to think if you're this, you know, person that you're creative and you enjoy a sport and you enjoy creating with your body, you can't, you also don't want to just cut that off cold Turkey either. So it was such a weird space of like trying to find this balance and then like never overdo anything. And, you know, yeah. I love how you said wrestling stimulates a creative part of your brain. I never, a lot of people don't think about it that way. You know, think about the brute of it, the grinding, the the pounding, but for you, it's a creative thing. Yeah. Wrestling is 100% like art to me. Um, you know, I, I just started playing an instrument and I would say there's certain, there's certain activities and I guess you could do it for any activity, but for me, I just find that certain activities like wrestling, it requires you to be so present. You know, if you come into practice and maybe you have like girlfriend, boyfriend issues or, you know, whatever this stress or this problem, generally, I think once you start wrestling, like you don't have the time or the space to think about it. Cause there's so much going on. You're like, your body's reacting to things and you know, there's so many moves and combinations. It's not like running where you're just doing this one motion. It's, um, it's, it's limitless in wrestling. And so it requires you to be present. And I think that's really like healing and therapeutic for the brain and the body. And I didn't realize that wrestling was my outlet and my therapy until it didn't, until it wasn't that, until it was the opposite of that. And so, uh, that was kind of also why I wanted to heal and come back to wrestling. Cause it was just like, this thing gave me so much joy and I don't like want to lose that. Wow. Well, this has been just so inspiring and enlightening to hear you talk about it like this. And I, I hope it inspires a lot of other people to, to think about wrestling in a different light. 
I know we're over time here, so I just want to oh. say, Helen, no, it's, I, it's, uh, I, I didn't want to take up more of your time. This has been a lot of fun. And, um, you know, you're, you're an inspiration. You're a hero for all of us. Last question. And we always sign off with this is, you know, how did wrestling change your life? You've talked so much about what, what wrestling's done for you, but you know, if you go and meet some folks and, and you're giving a speech to a, to a business or a company, you know, what do you talk to them about with, with, with respect to wrestling and what it's done for you? I would say wrestling changed my life just because I found something that I love to do. And it was this uh, avenue and this t- tool to shape my my character and to develop as a person. And it provides this, you know, safe space for you to have struggle and challenges and have things to overcome. And you get to use that as a platform to do it. And it's just something that that's brought me great joy and really helped me to come out of my shell and, and to become a strong person. Wow. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on, Helen. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wrestling Changed My Life with Helen Maroulis. To support Helen's film, please buy tickets via the link in our bio. The film debuts nationwide March 30th, but you can buy tickets now. Again, it's called Helen Believe. Also support our sponsors, Beat the Street Chicago. Please go to btschicago.org slash donate to support Beat the Street Chicago. Also download the Quant Wrestling app, Q-U-A-N-T, Quant Wrestling. Download the app now. We'll see you next week with a new episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. Peace!